I just want you guys to know this is a, a an historic episode of Leadership Next because I am sitting in our office <laughs> podcast room, which has been unopened for six months. <laughs> have to air it out a little bit. But. It's a new normal, Alan. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Ellen McGirt. Welcome, Ellen. I'm happy to be here. We've got an exciting guest today. We do have an exciting guest. I'm not sure everybody will know him. His name is Enrique Lores, and he is the head of HP, the iconic Silicon Valley company, really the first tech company in Silicon Valley. It kind of created Silicon Valley, founded right. in 1939. Back then, it was called Hewlett Packard after the two co-founders. And Alan, I've got two pieces of trivia for you today. Did you know one that they flipped a coin to decide whose name came first? And the other one is that their first big job that really launched the company was for the tech behind the Disney film Fantasia. I did not know that. Isn't That's that a great? great film. Yeah. So it, it really is a storied company, but at the turn of the millennium, it ran into some trouble. A right. big merger with compact computers that didn't work out. A succession of CEO scandals, firings, really a very rough time. And then in 2014, under attack from activists, they decided right. to split the company in two. One became HP. That was the printers and computers. And that's the one that Enrique Lores now heads. The other was HPE, which was sort of the business services uh, arm. So now two separate companies. And Alan, how are they doing? Has this been a, a particular rough patch for them? Well, I think that's one of the things we want to talk to uh, Enrique uh, Lores about. Right. By the way, while, since we're doing trivia, before we go to him, did you know that the garage where HP was founded in 1939 still exists and is on the National Register of Historic Places? I did not know that, but I am super sorry that our podcast listeners can't see this. I am looking at the garage right now. It's Enrique's Zoom background, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> so it is. The garage <laughs> looks great. Enrique, welcome to Leadership Next. Alan, Ellen, really nice to be here today. So we have a lot to talk about, but I want to start with something you said at your user conference, your reInvent conference recently. And, and I think I have this quote right. You said, this is a defining moment for each of us, our companies and our industry. We are witnessing the dawn of a new age. Those are big words. What do you mean by that? I think we all are seeing how fast things are changing and how fast the current pandemic is really even accelerating that change. If we think about how we were all working only six months ago, working from our offices, traveling around the globe to meet customers, to meet partners, look at what is happening today. We are working from home, using technology to replace many of the human interactions that we were having before, relying much more on technology than we have ever relied. And what we have seen is that many of the changes that we were thinking to do in the next two years, three years, four years, employees are accepting change much faster than before. Our customers are accepting change much faster than before. So the combination of the need for change 
with the fact that the environment is much more receptive, receptive to change, easily driving this huge acceleration. This is what I meant. I want to talk about all the products. I'm really interested in paper usage and 3D printing and all of that good stuff. But I want to stick with the people side of what you're doing. Is the culture piece at this time of tremendous change just seems really daunting, filled with pitfalls, but huge opportunities too, to your point. You spoke recently about the need to develop a more approachable leadership style across the company. You use the words compassion and humane and looking for ways to get closer to employees whose lives had also totally changed really overnight. What does that look like in principle and in practice? How, do, how does that happen? I think you, you touch on the key points. When I was talking about change before, I was talking about the change we are seeing as companies, but we are all seeing huge changes and employees. Our lives are very different now from how, how they were six months ago. And as leaders of organizations, we need to realize that people have been and are very concerned about their own health, that many of our employees are working in small homes with kids around them that are also doing homeschooling and is making their lives very complicated. We need to be aware that people have not been able in many cases to see their families in a long time because they live in different places. As we realize of all of this, we realize that it was really critical for us to be very close to our employees, to use technology to be with them every week if possible. And we made a huge effort for our employees to stay healthy, but also to stay connected with them, to make sure they understood what were our priorities, how we were managing the company, what were we doing to protect them. Yeah, Enrique, can I ask you how those two things that we've just talked about fit together? On the one hand, you talk about a business marketplace that is at the dawn of a new age, rapidly changing, and frankly, HP has a challenge to prove its place in that new world. Yes, you have a storied past, but your past also has included some rocky uh, episodes. So you, on the one hand, have a huge business challenge to say, we have a place in this new world that is rapidly developing. And on the other hand, your employees are in a tough situation. You have to communicate. You have to empathize. How do those two things fit together? I think they fit very well because what unites both of them is the need to focus on culture and values. And one of the things that we have done during the last six months is to really remind our employees what are the key values that we stand for. Some of those values are about how do we work, how do we collaborate, how do we treat people? And at the same time, the opportunities that we see to continue to innovate, which is another key element of our culture. The believe that technology is going to be making the world a better place for everyone. And also they believe that it's not only about the business itself, it's also about the impact we will have in our communities, in our teams, in the people around us. So I'm going to play the Alan Murray part here for a second. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is to talk a little bit more about the, the double bottom line and being purpose-driven and the false choice that you say people have to make between purpose and profit. But people really still struggle with this, particularly when things aren't going well. How do you balance that false choice? But more importantly, how do you communicate 
the truth of that to your peers who are struggling? I think first is by negating the need to choose between short-term results and long-term contribution. I firmly believe you can do both, and we are proving that we can do both. For example, when we published this year our sustainability report, we announced that last year we created $1.6 billion of additional business because of our focus on sustainability. Our clients, our customers care more and more about that. So it's really enabling us to create business. And if we think about the future, we want to be a company that delivers, of course, on our financial commitments, that creates value for our shareholders. But we also want to be a company that contributes to the world, that has a positive impact in the environment, in our communities, in our people, a company that stands for human rights. And we think that what makes companies unique is the ability to deliver on both sides. Let's dive into that a little bit more deeply, Enrique, because as you well know, a lot of technology companies have really done very well in spite of the pandemic and their stocks have soared and we've had this weird situation where the stock market has been going up even in the midst of an economic downturn. That hasn't been the case for HP. I mean, you got hit pretty hard right after the pandemic. I think the stock was maybe at $23 a share in March, took a big hit. You've been struggling back, but you're still significantly below where you were at the beginning. Does shareholders feel that your commitment to sustainability and to diversity and to education, which I want to talk about, are they worried that those things may be uh, hurting the business? When we think about what are we, what is driving the performance of the company, if I look at the company, our PC business is doing extremely well. And we have, in the new environment, PCs have become essential. And last quarter, we had a record shipment quarter in the history of the company. And we continue to see very strong demand on the PC side. On the print side, we have very strong demand from the home side driven by people working from home, kids learning from home, and weak demand on the office side. But if we look competitively and how are we doing in both cases, we are really driving the company significantly well. The fact that we have both a consumer and a commercial business has made us to be one of the best performing print companies in the world. And on the PC side, we regained our number one position last quarter. We have been able to show our focus on the business side while we have been able to maintain and drive our sustainability agenda, which I think for the long term is also important. I just want to say while we're on the business side of it that our listeners may remember that before the pandemic hit, we were having this little drama going on where Xerox was talking about buying HP. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the performance of the two companies in the pandemic, because of the reasons you said, you have a home business as well as a a business business. Uh, One wonders if when when we get through this, maybe it goes the other way around and HP buys Xerox. What do you think about that? (laughs) Well, our focus is on driving our strategy. We think that We have opportunities to continue to grow our value in personal systems and print. We also have key core technologies that will allow us to grow and innovate in new areas like 3D printing, like graphics, like microfluidics. And we are going to be driving our agenda going forward as we are doing today. Can we dig more into the 3D printing? I want a 3D printer so badly, Alan Murray, and I am going to be (laughs) looking for an opportunity to expense it. (laughs) 
<laughs> what what are you going to print, Ellen? My first great act with my 3D printer is going to be a life-size sculpture of you, Alan Murray. <laughs> that is a frightening, frightening thought. There's a reason I do podcasts. <laughs> As tribute. But I, the first thing I wanted once I started to get my bearings during the pandemic as a sort of an escape was a 3D printer. I'm deeply nerdy and we, I don't, we don't have one yet. But I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what it would mean for me in the community or the projects I would make. So I'm curious about how you are developing that market. What are you learning about what people around the world might use it for? How are you planning for that? When we were talking before about what changes the pandemic has accelerated, 3D printing is clearly one of them. Very early, we realized that in many hospitals, in many medical centers, they were missing key critical parts. They were missing masks. They were missing parts for ventilators. So we mobilized our teams, our partners, and since the pandemic started, we have produced more than 4 million parts using 3D printers. And what this shows is really the value that this technology has. Because these are parts that were designed, that were built, were distributed in a matter of weeks. If we had followed the traditional processes, it would have taken months to get this done. What kind of parts were you creating? So think about uh, plastic masks for doctors to be protected. We also were seeing a lot of ventilators that needed some special parts to be able to share the ventilator between two patients. So the teams designed those parts and were able to get them done and built and distributed in a record time. Do you think the pandemic will make people uh, see a greater role for 3D printers in their supply chains? Yes, because the second thing we have learned in the pandemic is the need to have more resilient supply chains. We have all learned that having all the manufacturing activities in a few countries in Asia in a situation like this has proven to create a lot of issues. And we're looking at distributing our supply chain, having more uh, manufacturing locations all over the world. And 3D printing is really designed and suited for this type of environments where you produce at a lower volume, more distributed, closer to where customers or consumers will be using the parts. So this is why we have proven the value of the technology But also, as we look at the trends in the manufacturing space, those trends are going to be supporting the adoption of 3D printing in a much more aggressive way. You can't 3D print a tree, though. And I know just in my household, we are printing almost 24 hours a day between school and work. How do you think about sustainability when it comes to the the wood part of your business? We announced a year ago what we call forest positive printing. And what this means is we monitor the amount of pages that are printed in our printers. Those pages can come from trees that were planted to become paper, or they can come from other type of forests. So our commitment is that we will be planting trees to compensate for every page that is coming from a non-sustainable forest. And that way, Really, contrary to what most people believe that by printing, you are killing trees. By printing, you are really driving us to plant more trees. So our message is very simple. If you want to see more trees in the planet, print more. 
Huh. That's fascinating. And and that covers anybody who uses an HP printer. We are doing that with home printers, which is where we saw the biggest impact. And over time, we will be extending that to the full portfolio. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte US, which is the sponsor of this podcast. Joe's one of the most thoughtful people I've met on the topics we discuss here every week. Joe, thanks for joining. Alan, pleasure to be with you. Joe, you and I have had a number of conversations about the growing demands from multiple stakeholders, employees, customers, the communities in which companies operate, as well as shareholders. In a crisis like this, all those demands just become louder and more emotional. How can you balance them? Alan, this is actually the time to prove that the sweeping statements around serving a broad cross-section of stakeholders are genuine. I mean, the trade-offs are less acute in a good economy where growth is ample. It's in times like these where you truly have to live the principles, making the right decisions to take care of your key stakeholders in the interests of maximizing the long-term value of the enterprise, even if that comes at the expense of shorter-term quarterly results. So you don't think stakeholder capitalism is gonna slide backwards during this crisis? You think it's gonna move forwards? We all have an obligation as a collective business community to make certain that it moves forward and to prove to those in society who are skeptical of our intentions that we genuinely mean it and that we're doing everything in our power to bring it to life in these most challenging circumstances. Joe, thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to go back to the 18, 19-year-old who arrived in the U.S. to become an intern at HP. I'm curious if you saw a future CEO in yourself back then. What, what was your pathway like? I, I joined the company when I was finishing my engineering studies because a group of HP engineers came to my university and they convinced me about the power of technology, the fact that with technology we could really have an impact in the lives of everybody. And I saw the passion that they had in their eyes for the products they were working. 30 years later, I have that same passion or even more because I still think that technology is going to be making the world a better place, and I think we will be driving that from HP. The fact that I was able to grow from intern to CEO shows the opportunities that everybody has in the company. If you focus on doing the right things, if you grow, if you learn, really there is no limit for what anybody can achieve. You know, as I'm listening to you, it is a beautiful story, and, and you're sitting in front of the the garage. It's such a, a wonderful trajectory. And as we are operating in the world of systemic racism and these this reckoning and these deep conversations, so much of what we're learning about what keeps people from intern to CEO happens outside. It's the, it's the banking system. It's the education system. It's all this stuff that is part of a person's broader ecosystem. And I know that you've been serious about this and you've been on top of it with your town halls and some of the the new rules and regulations you have in place, the new accountability metrics you have in place. Could you talk a little bit about what you're most excited about? So first of all, diversity and inclusion have been a critical part of the HP culture since the company was created, before the rest of the world was talking about it. So I think we, we really owe this to, to our founders. But we all have learned during the last months that even if we had done a lot of work and we thought we had done a lot of good things, 
many more are still necessary. And that we think that many of the issues that we are discussing today are things that should have been fixed 20, 30 years ago. So personally, I went through my own journey during the last months. First, I was really shocked by the external events that we were seeing. Second, I really got upset as I realized that we really needed to do even more work than I was expecting. But at the same time, I'm really hopeful that now we have an opportunity to make the necessary changes for us to have a positive impact in our society. Specifically, we have made some commitments in terms of the changes that we are going to be driving in the company. And one of the most relevant ones is our commitment to double the number of African-American executives. We like that as a goal because to make it happen, we need to drive changes across the whole company because it means we need to improve inclusion. We need to make sure that people feel included. We need to work on promotions. We need to work on talent development to then grow the people to the executive ranks. But we are going to make it happen. Yeah, I should point out to listeners, by the way, Ellen, that that HP and Fortune have a little common history uh, in promoting diversity in the in the C-suite. We started the Fortune Most Powerful Women list more than twenty years ago. That's right. The very first person to win the number one spot was a uh, an executive at Lucent named Carly Fiorina, who subsequently became the CEO of HP. We think we had a little bit to do with that. I don't know if she feels that way, but we feel that way. Right, Ellen? <laughs> I 100% know that that we had something to do with that. It's true. I, I, I want to turn the topic a little bit because I know you've done some interesting things in the education space. Mm. And I wonder if you could talk about what you've done and why you've done it and why it's important to the business. Education is a significant business opportunity and especially both printers and PCs are growing significantly there. So we look at it as a business segment where there is going to be growth. But also, as we think about where the world is going, it is really important to make sure that the young kids use technology, learn how to use technology, and become really part of what the new world is going to be. And we have driven efforts in education around the globe, starting from having a leading edge portfolio of products for kids and design for the education space to multiple campaigns to support the adoption of technology, but also campaigns driven by recycling. And in the US, we just launched a campaign where we are collecting all PCs, cleaning them, reformatting them so kids can use them. And we think this is also important because we'll help on the education front, but also helps from a recycling perspective because there are many old PCs that nobody is using anymore and can really have a big impact in the life of many kids that will not have access to technology in a different way. Is it a profitable business? It's, let's say, it's lower average than profitability is below the rest of the business, of the company. But it's an investment in the future. But we think it's a significant investment for the future. Just, just think also, many of us started to use HP products with the calculators, was the first product that was almost the first consumer product from HP. If we think about kids that are having their first contact with technology, their first PC will have a similar impact. And we know that for the next five, 10, 15 years, that will always have a positive impact on us. Enrique, great conversation. It's wonderful to see this company that really did create 
not just the culture of Silicon Valley, but Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. now thinking about creative ways to create the culture we need for the years ahead. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thank you, Alan, and thank you, Ellen. Great to be with you today. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 